Our dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time we can come together and and talk about um, mission to other places of the world. I pray that you be with us with your Holy Spirit and open our hearts and minds um, to receive you and with the uh, things that we learned today, help us to put it to action. Be with me as well as Dr. Hart and bless us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to be speaking about short-term missions and Dr. Hart will be speaking about long-term missions. You know, if you think about Jesus, he did both, didn't he? He was, when he came down to this earth, he came as a long-term missionary. But when he was on this earth, he went to different villages. He didn't stay there for a long time, right? But he was very effective in, in his ministry in those small villages everywhere. And you know, uh, I have had experience with, I've never done a long-term mission. Um, and Dr. Hart will address the long-term mission, but I've done over the last many years short-term missions one week to sometimes two weeks and um, I've been really really blessed by that a lot of times when we do mission service it is we who get blessed and um, very first time I ever went to a mission trip it was to Guatemala and um, there was we went to a village very very remote village and no physician had ever gone there. None. From anywhere. Not even from, from their own country. And here I was with uh, two other doctors. And these people were living in, you know, just like cardboard boxes. And, and they gave us an incredible meal. I mean, they brought out everything they had to give us a meal. It really touched me. And... Um, you know, there are other there are kids there trying to eat the food. And they go, no, 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 make sure nobody eats that. Only the only the doctors and those people came to. <laughs> what really touched me was there was a man who came, heard about us, and he came for three days. He walked for three days to come to our to uh, the clinic. And um, when we got there, when he got there we had run out of all the medications except Tylenol and he had classic symptoms of ulcers and as you know ulcers you don't treat ulcers with Tylenol <laughs> right and so here You know, we, I, I felt so bad at that time because they said he, he came for three days and he was having so much pain. He was almost doubled over with pain. And um, I said, you know, we, we can only give him what we have. You know, at least, hopefully this Tylenol can give him some relief. But um, I don't know how much he gave. We couldn't write a prescription. We couldn't do anything for him. 
But the thing is, that missionary mission trip, the medical mission trip, was in conjunction with uh, spiritual. We had a minister there who gave the gospel message to all these people, and they were very, very receptive. And this man went to that person, went to the pastor, learned about the truth of the gospel about Jesus, and you know what? We couldn't give him the prescription for his medicine, but we actually gave him the prescription for eternal life. And that's what it's all about, because you know, it doesn't. We can't. Every single person that we we reach or we talk to or we cure or in this life, they all die. Is that true? I don't know. Every single person that Jesus raised from the dead, where are they? They're in the grave. They all died. So, you know, mission service, missionary work, you know, short-term mission, it may not, we may not think um, it may do any good, but it can lead somebody to, you know, eternal life. My daughter recently went to Panama. And uh, when she was there, she went with a doctor who was a radiologist. And they met, they met a student, a medical student, fourth-year medical student, who was totally bald and he had no eyebrows. And um, they found out that he had this mass and they didn't know exactly what it was, but they, didn't knew, they knew it was some type of a cancer. And so what they did was they, um, they tried to treat him with some type of chemotherapy, but it was not a specific one because they didn't know exactly what cancer they were treating. So this, this uh, radiologist said, why don't you come to the United States? We'll help. We'll try to figure out well, what, what you have. And so he came, and now he's living at our house, and they're trying to figure out what he has. And we finally, he, he did a PET, PET scan and all these, and, um, and they did a re- retroperitoneal biopsy, and they found out he, had, he has a poorly differentiated squamous cell carcinoma that has spread all over his body. And last Wednesday, which was uh, two days ago, two nights ago, we had um, an anointing service and he gave a testimony about how this mission mission trip had affected his life, how it changed his life and his testimony was so beautiful. He said, you know, instead of blaming God, he said, you know what, this I'm so thankful that because God has given me time for me to prepare. He's only 22 years old. He already has this great perspective in life. And hopefully through this, you know, he, through, you know, American medicine, he may, he may be cured. We don't know. I mean, it's, it, we don't know exactly what's going to happen to him. But um, we're all praying that he'll get better. But in that anointing service, there were three patient, three people 
that who've been coming to our Bible studies every Wednesday night for some time. These people did not make any decisions. Yesterday, I got a call from them and said, John, I'd like to say something. Her name was Michelle and her husband and one of their friends. You know, we were so moved by that worship service, what you had. And I feel like you guys have the truth. How do I become, how do we become Seventh-day Adventists? We'd like to join your church. <laughs> so here it was, just a small, uh, just a mission service, a short, short term, just going there once. It's changed three people's lives who are already here. And there may be more people being affected by it by the service and by his testimony. And so, you know, when Jesus went from town to town, that was basically a short-term mission. Although his, mis his mission was a long-term mission on this earth, but he did a lot of short-term missions all over the world. And what did he do when he died after his death? He converted the world by what he did on this earth. And I'm sure all these people who were... Um, um, who listened to him after his, his death were converted. So, you know, some people criticize the short-term mission thing, but I think it has a lot of benefit because I don't, you don't know who you're going to reach. And, you know, there are so many um, organizations that you can go and, like my daughter went with um, Share Him, you know who that is? That's with Dr. I mean, uh, Falkenberg, right? Global Evangelism, and also you can go with It Is Written, and also with um, Amazing Facts. So you have to be just be willing, you know. I think with Amazing Facts, you have to go for three weeks because they're going to India. You know, places like if you're going from from um, to a long-term place, you, I mean, places far away, you need to. Spend you mean you need you need to put aside at least three weeks to do that because it takes about like four days to get there I think another <laughs> few days to get get back so you know don't expect to go there set set a time for a week and go to India and stay there for like three hours and come back you know that's all you have but um I don't really have that much more to say about the uh, short term mission now I'm gonna turn over my time to Dr Hart. Thank you, John. It's good to uh, to be with you all. Sitting here trying to think whether I've ever been in an audience where I've been talking to both a former teacher and my students, uh, and I, that's happening today. My one of my teachers in, in grade school in Troy, Idaho, and uh, and then a number of my students from Loma Linda. So it's good to have you all here. Uh, I've invited Don Gee to come down with me. Don is on the faculty in the School of Public Health and is also involved with AHI. So as we move into some questions and so on, well, we may want to punt some of that to him. What I th we thought we would do, and we have till 4.30, is that right? Uh, is to talk a little bit about what AHI is. So some, some of you know Gail is in the middle of working within it in Nigeria. Um, and then show a DVD, and we've got a couple options on that, and uh, we'll take a poll here and what we want to see, if any of them. 
and then have some time for some questions and so on at the end to talk a little bit about where this is going. HI, first, the, the Adventist Church owns and operates about 175 hospitals around the world now. About half of those are in the U.S. We're running around 80, 85 to 90, depending upon what you call Adventist and what year it is uh, in the U.S. in our systems here. Uh, that leaves about 70 in what I like to call the majority world, in the developing countries of the world. That's 25 in Africa, there's 10 in Inter-America, there's 11 in India, and there's uh, 10 in the Philippines, and then a few others scattered in other places. Many of those institutions, the ones in the U.S., are doing quite well, and you all can judge that for yourself uh, in terms of how they're doing. Many of those in developing countries are struggling and have been over the last 20 years. Uh, and there's a variety of reasons for that. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time going into that. It's politics, it's economics, it's church politics, it's a number of different issues where these institutions have got into trouble and have gone on a long, slow slide. Uh, and I fault some of us who have been around for a while that the church basically made the decision back in the 70s that we were in the process of having more and more young Adventist nationals going to medical school, going to nursing school, and so on in these countries, uh, and that they would then come on out of that, take over institutions, and life would be good and it would carry on. That was happening at about the same time that the mission giving in the church was getting less and less, so the fewer budgets to support missionaries going out, so those two trends seemed to match each other fairly well. Nationals coming up, less money going out, less missionaries, and so, but, but they would pick up the slack and move forward. Unfortunately, uh, what we didn't put into that equation is the concept of management and maintaining institutions. And so many of these institutions started going downhill in terms of the physical plants, in terms of the equipment, and the nationals, and I don't blame them at all for this, says, you want us to go work there? You won't. Why should we? When the pharmacy is empty, the lab doesn't work, the x-ray is broken, the payroll hasn't been met for three or four months, you know, we can't practice the kind of medicine that we want to practice either. Don't expect us to go work in those settings. And so we ended up with institutions that increasingly didn't had neither staff nor facilities to be able to manage themselves. And uh, I can tell you a series of horror stories of institutions around the world that you would shudder to have them say Adventists on the front of the building because they have become so bad, uh, they've become dysfunctional, they've become demoralized staff, their bills aren't paid, their taxes aren't paid, their payment to the church for all the tithe they've held from employees isn't paid up, their pension plan payments are 10 years out of date. I mean, I can go on and on and on in terms of the kinds of things that a deteriorating institution gets into. And we've been well into that in a number of these institutions. It was in that context that uh, a group of us at Loma Linda, actually with the encouragement of our board, about 10 years ago now, said we ought to do better than this. You know, either we ought to be politically strong enough to say we don't want mission hospitals anymore, let's shut them down, uh, but it's not really fair to either the church or to our people out there to just let them gradually die on the vine, which is what we were doing. And, and I, you know, I'm committed to this church, but I can tell you that, I mean, some of the, the, the comments that came back from church leaders, high-level church leaders, was basically, we don't have the political will to say we're going to shut them down. We don't have either the resources or the technology to make them go. So our only choice is to let them gradually die. And that was a stated objective of some divisions of the church, is to let that process go forward. 
Now, it was in that context then that a group of us in Loma Linda struggled with this thing and basically kind of says, well, okay, but not on our watch. Uh, we're going to do everything we can to try to keep these things afloat and basically put together a system that operated on a, a few key premises. One, that the real issue with mission hospitals isn't a lack of buildings or equipment. It's a lack of governance and management. And if you can fix that, the equipment and the buildings are relatively easy to fix because if you can fix governance and management, then you can reassure donors that turns on resources again. You can attract quality staff. You get some skill back on board again. And you can attract grants and services of various kinds. And an institution, indeed, even in the poorest country, can come back around and flourish. Now, we put that postulate forward, weren't real clear whether we were right or not, uh, but we thought we probably were, and started down that road. And in 1997, roughly, we took on two hospitals, Gimby Adventist Hospital in Western Ethiopia and G Davis Memorial Hospital in the country of Guyana, down between Venezuela and Suriname and the northern shore of South America. And worked on that premise for a year or two, uh, started turning those two institutions around and started doing better and better and have gradually been expanding, taking on another one or two hospitals each year ever since then. We now have 31 hospitals in 13 different countries that are part of AHI and a number of others lined up that would like to come into that system. Uh, we only can handle about one or two a year. It takes about five years to take a dysfunctional, broken hospital and get it back to where it's thriving again. I'm personally convinced that can happen in any economy and in any country. I mean, we've seen it happen in some of the poorest countries. Uh, Gimby is a good example, and we'll probably show you a DVD of Gimby here in a second. Uh, Ethiopia is one of the poorest countries in the world. And yet Gimby Hospital has one ID budget, interdivision budget, or missionary budget. All the rest of the expenses of that hospital, of a staff of roughly 100 now, uh, are supported by activities generated at the hospital, by patient revenue, by uh, some contracts, getting ready to start a new nursing school. I mean, things roll when you finally get the management and governance piece fixed. So that's what AHI is. It's gradually evolved into a system now, as I said, that has 31 hospitals. Uh, we keep gradually expanding as we can. There are seven countries with 16 hospitals in Africa, Ethiopia, Rwanda, uh, Zambia, Chad, Cameroon, and Nigeria and Malawi, just added Malawi. There are five countries in Inter America that are part of that, Guyana, Haiti, Trinidad, Venezuela, and just adding Honduras, and then the country of India with 10 hospitals in India are part of that system. There are several issues that are still in front of us. I mean, we have, I think, have satisfied ourselves, and I'll invite, uh, you know, Gail, who's in one of these hospitals with her or her husband, to comment on this if she wishes. Uh, I'm certainly satisfied that the usual reasons given for closing an Adventist hospital, can't find staff, poor country, uh, it's in the wrong location, uh, all the things you usually hear, <coughs> that frankly none of them are valid reasons by themselves. Now, there may be reasons, and I'm not going to argue that we shouldn't close some hospitals, but the usual thing I hear argued is it hasn't worked, therefore we better close it. And there's many reasons why it doesn't work, and location, frankly, is not the primary one of those in my view. Uh, and, and we've got some that are thriving in very poor circumstances and some that are, that are thriving in, in, in you know, better circumstances. 
The challenge we still face, and there are several, uh, is number one, the continued decrease of interdivision budgets in the church is still there. We're shrinking the missionary budgets. so we're having to increasingly get institutions strong enough so they can use what we call Code 4 budgets instead of Code 1 budgets. Code 4 budgets <coughs> are budgets that are supported by the institution itself. So it's the same salary, same benefit package that the church has, but the money comes from the institution, whereas a Code 1 budget comes from the general conference. Uh, and some of our cities, or some of our institutions based in cities or in larger uh, metropolitan areas can do that, and we're getting closer to that. Uh, so that's one transition that's going to have to happen if we're going to keep these institutions alive. Uh, it's very clear to me, and I'll, I'll end with this, and then I want to check on which video to show, uh, that the other argument that we sometimes hear from the church, and, and unfortunately it's a very real one that you hear, is money spent on health care doesn't produce the same returns in terms of souls saved as money spent on other things, either on evangelism or money spent on education. I beg to differ with that strongly. Uh, I think, frankly, the church in many countries, its reputation that attracts members comes from health care as much as anything, certainly more than than our churches, uh, probably equal with education at least. Uh, And, you know, if I can share the two stories uh, from the two original hospitals in Guyana, uh, every two or three times a year, and I'd go down for board meetings, Uh, there was a little church right next to the hospital that they would never let me go to. No, no, Dr. Hart, we've got to take you off to a big church in town, and Georgetown's got a number of churches, and so we'd get hauled all over to to the other nice churches. No, I want to go to the hospital church, you know, little church. It's about less than 100 members, little cement block building there in a field by the hospital. Finally, about two years ago, uh, when I was down there one time, I saw a foundation starting to come up around the outside of that church building, uh, you know, quite a ways around the outside, a much larger building. And I said, what's going on? Oh, we're starting to build a new church. And so every time I was there, I'd watch the walls come up, finally the roof come on, finally had it all finished. They tore down the church inside the building uh, and had this be their new church. And I think it was a year, about a year, year and a half ago that I was there when we had the inauguration service. I had 700 members in the new hospital church, now the largest church in the country. And basically it, it, it proves a point, which I think is very true, that nobody likes to join a losing team. And when you have a dysfunctional institution, that's a strong disincentive to join the Adventist church. When you have a successful, thriving institution, people are more attracted that somehow this, 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 this thing is working. Now, we can argue all we want whether or not that's good evangelism or whether that's good theology, uh, and I'm not here to argue that. And That's probably not the right reason to join a church, but it happens. And I would argue that even if people join for the reasons that they feel good about the institutions but are part of the church and then grow into the theology, I, that doesn't cause any problem with me at all. The other, the other example, and give me if I can share that, and then we'll, then we'll look at something. Gimby, we started off with a, the hospital church, we can call it that, on the compound. Uh, probably had, I don't know, it was a larger church, probably had uh, three, 400 members in it uh, when we started out at Gimby. Uh, today, that church has, is packed to the gills. They've basically doubled the capacity. Uh, people are hanging out the windows and looking in from the outside, and there are two more churches in Gimby Town that have now been built. So the, the, the membership in Gimby Town itself has probably gone up uh, three or four fold since the hospital has become positive once again. 
And I'm convinced that can happen anywhere. Uh, and it, it, but it's not going to happen when we have dysfunctional dying institutions that you hesitate to, to identify yourself with. Now, I'm suggesting we look at a DVD. I, I want to do a, a quick check. How many of you have seen the DVD on Chad? Very Chad, James Appel's thing. Okay, quite a few. How many of you have seen the one on Gimby, a more recent one? Well, a few less than you have. Um, they're each about a half an hour long. Uh, we thought we would show one of them. Um, because it gives kind of a sense of what's happening out there, and then we'll still have some time for questions at the end to kind of talk about this some. Uh, any questions now that uh, that we can uh, deal with before we start this? Let me open a Mac. Pardon? Uh, as far as personnel or equipment or everything, short term, long term, uh, we are getting closer to that. We are in the process of putting together a database right now at Loma Linda that, and, and many of you are, are Loma Linda people, so let me explain this. We have about three or four database needs at Loma Linda, and different parts of this have started intermittently and never get maintained. Uh, so we're trying to do the final one that will fix it all. And the databases we need is we have one database that's trying to manage the DMA program, all the deferred mission appointees that are coming through, go on to residencies and so on, so we know those. There's another huge database that is alumni who want to serve on a short-term or long-term basis from Loma Linda, another huge issue. We have a growing number of non-alumni, others who just write into Loma Linda saying, hey, you know, we hear you do something, we like to participate. Some of them Adventists, some of them not, uh, that want to be part of something. So keeping track of volunteers that, that want to, to plug into something. The flip side of that we're also concerned about, which is many people from elsewhere that want to come and rotate at Loma Linda for a week or two or a month or two, learning a particular skill, learning ultrasounds, or learning this or that or the other thing, which kind of is the same set of data, just moving the other way. So we are in the process right now of refining, it's pretty well put together, a database that will basically manage all of that tied to Banner, which is our software program for managing all the, the uh, 35,000 people on the scope mailing list, in essence, which are all alumni plus some others. We have. Uh, let me give you two examples of that. Uh, we call it Consultants Online. I uh, haven't got it refined as far as we would like yet, but uh, I had one actually a year or two ago now, several years ago now, from Dr. Weafi, Bo Weafi, an ophthalmologist in Zambia. It says, here this 12-year-old girl shows up in my clinic this morning, went blind walking to school. You know, give me some ideas. Uh, and literally emailed in. We could connect him with the ophthalmologist and push stuff back out there. I had one just... Uh, Last week, last week I guess it was, from John Wilson, some of you know, one of our recent graduates, family medicine guy down in Guyana, at Davis Memorial Hospital in Guyana, who had just been out in the jungles visiting a project and came across a gal with tremendous kind of a bullous uh, dermatitis uh, just all over her entire body, about a 16-year-old gal that was just in misery, uh, and sent it up with pictures, forwarded on to Abel, Abel Torres in dermatology, fired back some diagnoses, some suggestions and so on, and so we made the loop. So we want to increasingly do that. Our goal is to have it so we can have turnaround within 24 hours of any medical question coming in from anywhere in the world, 
through some sort of a specialist in Loma Linda and back out. I'd love to comment on that just a little bit. Additionally, one of the things, the limitations we have is are the, the understanding and the use of systems like that from the field. Um, examples that he gave are basically Zambia, we do have a good high-speed internet connection at the hospital there. Uh, Bo, we started a long time ago. Bo's been far more up on technology. John Wilson is obviously very much up on that. Most of the hospitals are struggling to try to get information systems. They're basically county systems together. And they are still, they are used to operating in isolation. And so the whole concept of being able to be linked, let alone to Loma Linda, um, is still a foreign one. And you know, when you are used to solving your problems, you know, with whatever resources you can find within 20 feet of you, to be able to think beyond that is, takes a bit of effort. And we've been going through this process slowly, this having better information systems. One of the big hurdles that we have, we can set up a system to collect, to categorize the data and so forth, but how do we collect it from the field? How do we get the people from out of the hospitals and so forth to not only identify what their needs are, but appropriately prioritize them? Um, and I would say the other thing is, is also working with a certain historical appropriation mentality versus a self-sustaining mentality and following that transition. Because if you were to ask them, well, what do you need? They'll give you a whole list of all kinds of things. Because, you know, whatever it is, you know, that they, but they have no idea of what it is they can maintain, what will actually be useful in the long run. And so trying to find the balance between all those things. It's, it's been a long process, but it's been fun to watch the change and transition. I mean, I think that last letter from Nigeria, uh, from the administration team out there, and, and Ife and all, I mean, there's such a more stronger sense of empowerment that they are now really thinking out there of what are, are the specific things they need to make things better, and what it is that they can manage and maintain themselves. And I mean, they're thinking far more strategically in the way they do things. And I can say it. It's not just in the finances, it's not just not the clinical areas, it's also in the spiritual areas, it's also, you know, in multiple areas, it's just fun to watch that. Uh, and I think that's probably where we have been, have felt our greatest impact is that we connect up with them, and in some respects, we give them hope of connection to the outside world. To others in the health healing ministries that are passionate about what they do too, we can support them and encourage them the other thing that we are working on it isn't altogether yet but it's coming is we've sequestered about <coughs> about 4,000 square feet of space in the medical center's warehouse for medical equipment uh, logistical support base uh, and I've worked out now with Adventist Health West and with a number of other places that basically the medical equipment comes out, we're collecting it, we're working on refurbishing and pushing it out. We've tried for the last 10 years to avoid this uh, and tried to link with a number of other equipment where a lot of places do this. Uh, our problem has been consistently is that unless you control the process, you don't get the good stuff. I mean, we get containers full of gurneys and bedpans, and that's great, but we don't get the ultrasounds and, uh, and then surgical tables and lights. So we've reluctantly stepped into this ourselves uh, to, to set up this warehouse, and that's going to increasingly be a uh, part of the, the system. As well as we, the whole process of HI has had a full impact on the way the rest of the Adventist health system relates to international work. And 
A lot of the hospital systems have, and, and some of you come from those systems, want to get involved with international projects, struggle with how to do that effectively. And an awful lot of them have been in and out with projects. They have somebody gets up some interest and goes to a place and does their thing, has a wonderful trip. Uh, and, and I agree, John, that short-term trips can be valuable. Uh, but leaves very little behind in terms of the infrastructure system you're trying to fix. Uh, and then somebody else comes up and wants to go another place. Uh, and so what we've been quite determined is let's, if we're going to get involved, let's get involved enough to change the system, to fix the thing, and, and be able to move forward. And let me just build on that. We have the same problem at Loma Linda. Many of you are from there. We there have a system where we've had a number of our clinical departments want to do their own mission trips, pop off and do them wherever without consultation with anybody. Uh, this is plastics. This is ophthalmology. This is emergency medicine. Uh, you know, a number of the different ones. And we're also telling them, listen, you know, that's great stuff, but let's focus it. Let's try to make sure we're going to some place that can be sustained, that can, be, that can grow and develop a system, rather than just doing, doing Band-Aids everywhere. Uh, and that's really helped a lot. It started to come together, focus all of them, and make the trips much more uh, meaningful and worthwhile as far as leaving something behind. Anywhere, frankly, in my view, can be tremendously educational on the people who go. No question. That's what SIMS is all about. I mean, we literally, you impact the people who go. It's an educational trip. But it doesn't do much to develop capacity out there. And so that's what we're trying to do is develop capacity in some of these places. And we're increasingly, and, and I'll admit to feeling some guilt about this, what we're basically saying is there's a lot of hospitals to help, but we really would prefer you would help an AHI hospital, even though that's not all the Adventist hospitals, because there we can do, deal with management we know the infrastructure, we know the people, we know the players, and so we can guarantee a result. Uh, if you want to go someplace else, we'll bless you, uh, but, but we don't have the ability to have the same connection with them as, uh, as an AHI institution. John? Yeah, I mean, we are, we relate to USA, in fact, Don's working fairly intensively on a major USAID grant right now that would be through you, if through AHI for HIV AIDS education, prevention and treatment and palliative care programs. Uh, so we're increasingly getting involved with, uh, with USAID processes and, and policies. Uh, let me just do a clarification. Some of you know we have a big project, USAID project in Afghanistan. That is not part of AHI. We've left that tied to the university. We've left AHI only dealing with Adventist institutions, not with other ones. So China and Afghanistan, which you hear us talk about, are not part of AHI. AHI is only uh, Adventist hospitals. Does it zoom up any bigger? We're there. We've been there for 40, 50 that's plus okay. years. We're going to be there whether we get the grants or we don't get the grants. 
uh, a, a very, even a more personal way that I feel uh, that we look at it um, is that those are our brothers and sisters in the church out there. They're there whether we help them or don't help them. You know, often we look at it sort of from this this side. Okay, good. I'll go help them. And yeah, that was a good experience. Okay, maybe I'll help them again. Oh, this is getting kind of hard. That's so that's we'll a zoom. That's as good big as it goes. That was okay. kind of hard. Well, they're still there. You know, uh, the hard places are still there. The people are still having to deal with whatever that situation is. And what I find is NGOs and a lot of USAID included, they tend to fund programs and projects that are maybe three to five years, two years in length. And we are increasingly trying to link, link up with those systems and those projects. But we often have a little different perspective. Those are great for two and three years. We do the best we can with that period of time when we get the funding. But we've got to continue on when all that funding quits, too. So how do we build systems that can be maintained and then actually don't get hurt by doing those kinds of programs? And we struggle in a lot of these countries where some of those systems are developed, but they're very much oriented to those funding, that type of mentality. So it's trying to find a balance between that. ADRA tends to do most of its work on that side. We tend to work in facilities that are on the ground and will be there. And so there's differences in, we, in what we do. There's similarities in the places where we join together as much as possible. But there's some things that are unique. So it's, it's, a, it's a fun process. Why don't we look at this DVD, uh, and then we'll still have some time for some questions so on afterwards. So let me. Is that all I need to do? Is there something? Yeah. Why don't we cut down those lights a little bit? Not coming through the speakers. Oh. Okay. Did you hear what she said? No. China and Afghanistan are not part of AHI. They are directly linked to Loma Linda. We've limited AHI only to Adventist institutions. Both of those are government hospitals, which we carry contracts with to help manage, but they're not Adventist hospitals. So we've left AHI just dealing with Adventist hospitals. He says, you think you'll have to, Gail, can you help? Do we need to shut down the uh, projector? Yeah. You have to shut down the whole computer.
Kigali. And we, we did get a short-term dentist to come in there. In fact, he's still there, right? Mm -hmm. uh, until the permanent dentist, dentist is coming out. But so those kinds of things are really of the cabinet uh, search and ring people line database, is there, one, there isn't one that's really maintained. Yeah. Are you asking, Todd, whether there's a listing of needs? Are you asking whether there's a listing of volunteers? moving closer to that, I'm not sure we ever want to get quite there, frankly, because we need to vet people considerably more than giving this a choice of matching on a website. Well, there, there, uh, there is vetting on that website. Yeah. I'm assuming most of them. Yeah. Uh, we are getting a, quite a number, frankly, of just young people across the world that are saying, I want to plug into something. You know, what do you have? Now, we struggle a little bit. You know, the church typically is pretty conservative out there as far as letting non-Adventists come in. Uh, although some of them have been very strong for us and done a lot of good stuff. Uh, so we have some of that happening. We have a lot of our own young people and so on. Uh, so it's a mixture of things. I'm, I'm not sure how whether we'll ever get quite to the point of putting everything up on a site or not. We might. We clearly want to have a database that lists everything that keeps us up to date. Okay. I, I think I think we'd be very positive about that. I definitely think so. The, I think the hardest the hardest part is keeping trying to anticipate all the needs out there, making sure we get that clearly defined and people important. So we're we're back in there. This is a story of beauty. I was driving at the hospital serving the Western Highlands. Good luck, Mike. Can you just lay it?
We're into appropriate technology as well. So. <laughs> Thank you. 
tried to help Sarika by keeping a pair of shoes on his feet, keeping him with clothes that will keep him warm at night. But I don't think the relationship was really one way because I, I learned so much from him, more than I ever expected. He is a boy that has absolutely nothing, nothing that he deserves to smile about in his entire life. But he has the biggest, widest grin that he can never wipe off his face. Thank you. I think one of the things that makes Gimby Hospital thrive is the number of volunteers that, that come out here and help us in, in the hospital. Dr. Larry Thomas is a very, very good friend of Gimby Hospital. He's developed a program of his own, which uh, is called the Tropical Health Alliance. And he honed in on the London School of Tropical Medicine. He realized that students have a need and a desire to go to work in hospitals where they can see a lot of these tropical diseases and tropical medicine that they've learned about. And a lot of them, frankly, had trouble finding a place where they could go and volunteer. I was doing a master's in tropical medicine at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. And Larry Thomas had a little poster up, um, and um, a doctor called Francesca Zucca, who's an Italian, and myself applied, and both of us got this fellowship, um, and essentially both of us went out to Gimby together. After a short time there, I realized that the, obviously the magnitude of the problems, especially maternal health problems, um, was something that I could make an impact on. Um, and on my return back here, um, I um, met with some friends um, who um, also have a background in obstetrics and gynecology and tropical medicine, and we formed a group initially, a um, small group called Maternity Worldwide. We have ambitious plans uh, over the next five years to um, make a, a definite impact in trying to prevent deaths in childbirth in, in Gimby, in the western Waterdale region. What we're doing is we're just bringing out the formula milk for Gold 2, a woman who had triplets in Gimby Adventist Hospital. And they're now about three months old, the triplets, so they're getting through quite a lot of milk. So we come out here every two weeks. It's about um, 15 or 18 kilometers from Gimby. We come out with a hospital vehicle to visit her and also check up on the baby, see that they're well and see that she's healthy. This is Bultu, the mother of the triplets, and her husband is here. And this is her beautiful triplet. This is the first one that she's holding, the son. And the second one, this baby came um, kephalic, head first, normal delivery. The second one came, maybe came breech, sorry, it's going to the bottom, and the second twin, the boy as well. And then the third one, she came breech as well. They're three naturally. And they're growing well. <laughs> we're just weighing the three triplets. Um, we're aware they very much wanted a family. So thankfully, um, Bultu came through our charity, um, Maternity Worldwide, and, and the Safe Birth Fund, where they come in from their cabelli into families who can't afford the care. And so that's why we've been supplementing the milk. She doesn't have enough breast milk and um, assisting her in other small ways. So hopefully that all three babies will successfully grow and they can um, raise all three of them as well. About five or six years ago, two very special people moved to Gimby. Sister Susie and Matthew are 
the services and the money that they that is required is paid for out of the uh, fund which the sisters have for paying for sick patients like this. One uh, doctor who's a good friend of Gimby Hospital promoted the same kind of partnership with the, between uh, the, the Loma Linda Seventh-day Adventist Church and St. Joseph the Worker, which is a Catholic church in Loma Linda. And he made a challenge to that church that if they would raise $5,000 to send to Sister Susie and Matthew here in Gimby, he would match that with $5,000 of his own money. And the $5,000 was raised instantly. So we brought $10,000 and delivered it to Sister Susie and Matthew. It's their money and they can decide exactly what to use it for. But what they've been doing with it is using most of it here at Gimby Hospital. We are working hard to have another religion, and we don't we don't mind. We love each other and we respect each other. And this is what we, Matty and me, we have said since the beginning. You, the situation, with the that partnership, uh, uh, friendship with everybody, with our uh, brothers and sisters, Christian or non-Christian, and this is beautiful. God never abandoned us, never. The hospital has always wanted to have a nursing school as well to improve the education in this uh, area. So uh, just recently, uh, thanks to two very generous donations that we had, we're, start, we're starting from the ground up here. And what, what we're looking at here is a construction site of a, two nursing dormitories. One of the challenges of uh, doing construction out here in Gimby is that we're very far from the capital city, Anasabuba. And it's not feasible to bring cement cinder blocks from there, so we make them ourselves using this uh, simple machine. It takes uh, take this kind of a little bit of practice, but they're really good at what they do. The sand and cement and water have to be mixed in the exact right proportions, and then put it into the form.
responsible garden we grow potatoes, carrots, tomatoes, uh, green, which is kind of like chard. Um, cabbage. Yeah, cabbage. And we use those in our hospital kitchen to cook healthy vegetarian meals for the patients. And if there's extra, then we sell it to the hospital workers. We're trying to teach family planning to this guy because his salary is about 200 bird per month and he has about six children who are always sick. to get custody of her and 
they they posted a little sign on the tree, which is their bulletin board, that said if anyone opposes to this adoption, you're welcome to come on this certain date. And of course, no one came. So we went, we proceeded step after step, and it's, it's taken us almost a year, but we're halfway done. Ethiopia has granted her to us as legal parents, and now we're just waiting for the U.S. Embassy to, to finish its paperwork for us. Arga is so beautiful and lively and active, and she is by far the most famous baby girl in Gimme. Almost everyone in town knows her name. Probably my biggest fear about raising Arga is the inability of me to braid her hair, because she's got great hair, and these people can do really neat things with it, but I don't have that talent, so... <laughs> Okay, if we can go ahead, Michael. You want to shut that down? That's Gimby. That's one place. There's uh, 30 more places around the world that have similar stories. Chan and Charlie now down in Honduras, taking on another hospital for us down there now. I've been down there for a couple months. Questions, comments. Uh, it's good to see the weavers here. Uh, Dr. Weaver has a niece, if I'm remembering that right, uh, buried at Gimby from uh, many years ago.
talking increasingly about that because frankly some of us would like to start some new stuff not just rehab uh, an old place uh, I don't want to stop continuing to add hospitals as long as there's some that still want to join but we have a number of countries that have actually asked to start entirely new work uh, Mozambique and Angola uh, in Africa Portuguese speaking countries we often talk about the French speaking in areas in Africa being neglected the Portuguese speaking are neglected even more uh, because they just don't fit into the system out there. So the churches request us look at starting to start things in both Mozambique and Angola. Um, a couple other places that have been asked about, Somalia, huge challenge. Mauritania uh, on the west coast of French-speaking, entirely Muslim area in the, in the western part of Africa. So, yeah, no, we're, we're open to all that. That takes some time and investment. And as Don suggested earlier, I mean, we're seeking not to be kind of... Uh, easy in, quick, and, and, and see what happens. We are there for the long haul in terms of trying to step in and, and establish a system that will survive and go on. Uh, but uh, we're very much looking at some, uh, starting in some new areas entirely. I would say also we're, we're starting to look to even modify some of the work that we do in some of these institutions. Um, you know, the, there's, the, there's very much a medical model where you are developing uh, you know, clinical care
other information, other health information that ought to be taken care of, not these things, where we can do other forms of health education and support uh, at that point. And so this, we think this is quite a, a nice new opportunity for us to begin to modify even the way we look at the health system. Any other question? John? So is there any effort to tie to the new health system from industry? I mean, there have to be growing churches that need to be done for these people to do, so it seems like, and, and the people to support the churches and have money to do support the hospitals and developing infrastructures from within so that it can be self-supporting rather than outside supporting? You mean like developing within the health system? Within the church community. Within the community. Yeah. As time passes, I see, you know, the mission dollars maybe. Yeah. Well, there is, John. Our best industry is healthcare itself. So, by providing jobs and so on in healthcare, we do a tremendous boost to the economy. And then we are increasingly at a number of places getting in. This has mentioned some of the gardens that are starting there. Uh, there's a variety of other industries. Uh, Mark Ranzi was mentioned Buganero running a, frankly, running a taxi service back and forth to Kabuye. I mean, there's a number of running an internet cafe. There's a number of little things like that. The individual institutions are kind of coming up and responding to the local sorts of things. Uh, it's hard to predict what will work best in each setting. That's very much an individualized sort of thing. Uh, we just have had a, a major donor, $100,000 to HI, to set up to, to set up scholarship fund or uh, kind of internships for young people to work for one to two years to develop a skill set, so that they can then go off and get a job. Uh, and so we're starting to work on trying to grow that kind of skill among the Adventist young people that come in as well. So it's it's a it's it's going to be hard to package it everywhere, but it's a thing that is very much encouraged at the local level. Okay, I think our time is gone. Thank you all. We'll be glad to talk, take some questions. There are uh, one of the last annual reports of HI and another brief summary back here. If somebody anybody wants to take some of those. Thank you all.